Welcome to the Release Date Podcast. Here, we interview game developers about their upcoming game releases and the people behind the studio. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? All right, so my name is Dan Adams. I'm the lead developer and CEO of Polar Zenith. We're working on the my breakout title uh, indie developed game of solar warden solar warden is a space shooter rts hybrid where it's very similar to xcom meets freelancer we're gonna start with you sure give us an insight into who you are why you're here what cosmic stars align to get you to this point uh starting when maybe you were <laughs> a little younger a uh, little bit of history about myself really uh it goes i guess all the way back to <laughs> back in uh, uh post high school when i was doing some extra credit work for for edmonton public schools it was actually a work safety module for what was never winter nights because they were actually teaching a class for how to do uh game development and they were actually wanting to show off the game development side including this interactive demo for work safety uh, organization <laughs> But I mean, really, for, for myself, I've always kind of been, even before that, was all the way back, back in my teen years, where I got my hands onto, like I said, Neverwinter Nights, the Aurora engine. I was working on a lot of uh, uh, StarCraft used map settings, maps, coming up with my own game designs, a bunch of different ones that got circulated on the original StarCraft, you know, back in the day. Yeah. But then also was like a huge avid fan of just playing online games, which eventually turned into like a hobby for me, where... I, I was actually developing some side projects here and there. Uh, I wanted to actually look at making like an RPG myself, but my my brother actually came to me because we were both like avid Battlefield uh, players at the time. And Battlefield 2142 is coming out. And he showed me a awesome setup inside of Battlefield 2142 where he got jump jets working on the mechs that were in 2142. And also let you know, of course, I'm a huge MechWarrior fan as well, <laughs> as uh, a lot of your listeners probably know. But going back to it, the Jump Jets was actually kind of the, the birthing place of where we eventually created and started working on MechWarrior Living Legend. With that, we, uh, we started in 2142 with uh, the limited um, uh, the mod tools that were actually community-made, so it didn't really go very far. Uh, switched over to like uh, Quake Wars. But splash damage at the time wasn't really helpful in helping us out and getting anything sorted. So uh, one of our other developers, when we were building up our, our team, said, hey, why don't we look at doing the, the CryEngine? And CryEngine was uh, huge in terms of when it was uh, originally uh, made for Far Cry. And with Crisis coming out, CryEngine 2, we looked at that and we were like, wow, these graphics are amazing. So we actually uh, got in contact with Crytek and they sent us over a mod SDK and building our game uh, and having tons of support. I was, I was actually surprised how much support we actually got from them and creating essentially what was arguably, in my mind, uh, I have a little bit of bias here, but probably the best MechWare game, even MechWare Online does not even hold a candle to MWLL. So... I mean, <laughs> wow. with with that, I mean, we, we well think about it. We had mixed arms combat. We had not only mechs, but we had tanks. We had aerospace. We had battle armor. 
we had hovercrafts, we had a whole, a whole array of like different mixed arms, all coming from the Battletech universe. Because being like big battlefield players ourselves, we love that aspect of like the mixed arms combat. And we also loved MechWarrior. So we're like, hey, why don't we merge these two together? This, this will be great. It, it turned out to be a, a ride of a lifetime because that catapulted uh, the majority of the development team actually into game development careers because of that. When, when I look at people that come into the game development industry, when, when I see them coming from mod experience, I trust them a hell of a lot more than people that come from really a teaching or, or like a, a learning background or some sort of college background where they just take, you know, a, a course from either Full Sail or, you know, Games Academy in Germany. It's, it's, it's kind of laughable because a lot of the time I, I respect modders a lot more because instantly those modders are able to take whatever the limitations are of whatever thing that they're working on and work around it and go above and beyond and think outside of that box and being able to develop anything that they wanted to actually make. So with that said, that same kind of mentality catapulted me into my career with starting off at, um, at Bioware in Edmonton. So it was helpful that I learned a little bit of the Aurora engine, uh, but they moved on to using Unreal Engine uh, at the time unreal 3 and uh first project that i worked on actually was the original mass effect and then later moved on to an unannounced title which never got released unfortunately you mentioned earlier the uh was it quake and splash yeah quake wars enemy territory quake Wars, and uh the development team splash and they were um unhelpful to you or well not uh, i guess that might be a little rough but uh they were not very supportive uh, no they were they were pretty unhelpful yeah, yes okay, sure. <laughs> we, we we requested numerous well i guess they were also because they were developing their tools at the same time while you know boasting that you know we're actually going to be uh, there or they're going to be actually developing mod support which i don't believe they ever did so i mean and enemy territory quake wars didn't really last very long anyway Okay, and when you compare that against Crytek, right, and their um, their support mod, mod SDK, yeah, it was the the pre mod SDK uh, since Crisis was still in development, but they were since Far Cry actually Far Cry had like already a big modding community, so uh, the yearlies who were the uh, owners of Crytek wanted to uh, maintain that same level of of commitment to the modders. Because I understood, you know, like a lot of the times the modders are the ones that keep your game alive. Right, in, in the civilization route, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Or look at uh, Freelancer. Freelancer's still around because of uh, um, um, the myriad of different mods that are out there now. I think, what is it? Freelancer Open, I believe? Is it impossible for someone to mod a game without the support? Or do you feel that that first step of having the developer come out and say, hey, we welcome all and, all and any modders to work on our game? I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's, uh, it, it closes the door. I'm going to say it's, um, it's more so a helping hand, right? Right. The, the thing that is, is paramount, and this goes toward any development, really, or anything kind of period that you're working on, it's a matter of persistence and dedication and, and being able to admit your faults and being able to ask questions, right? Yeah. And, and not being satisfied with a non-answer. So either you figuring, out on, figuring it out on your own or being able to get that support is definitely handy. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, it's all about being dedicated, all about persevering. 
right? A lot of people get turned off because of like how difficult it is to develop games. It's like, oh, well, I re- really have this cool idea of this space moon golf game, but I have no idea where to start. And C++ is really hard. And I'm like, well, get started. There's <laughs> plenty of tutorials out there online of wherever you want to go, even if you can't get the direct support that you need. For instance, sometimes with with Unreal, it's hard to, to get a hold of uh, the community guys within a timely manner. So, but then there's also the community that might have actually done it before you, right? Yeah. So, with popular game engines like Unity and Unreal, there's a huge bustling community out there, an active community that are actually all working on their own titles, and all of them are all active in community hubs as well that are all able to help you out no matter where same thing with the, even with uh with crytech and CryEngine. uh a lot of the times actually we had us actually jumping on to what was called CryMod at the time uh it was the online community hub and it eventually turned into a uh, kind of a lopsided conversation where some of the advanced questions that we were asking we could only really ask the uh uh, uh the CryEngine programmers themselves <laughs> Because it was things like, okay, what do we do with this with multiplayer? How do we actually set up, you know, physics and, and network relation and setting up the, the, the grid points on, on the network uh, 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 packets in order to make sure that we actually get these uh, network calls coming in at, at a reasonable time. And CryMod guys were just like, duh. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually it turned into like a one-sided conversation with some of the more advanced things, uh, which we had to rely on. Uh, Crytek support but and it was also fortunate as well actually uh, because a few of us uh, eventually uh, my brother included got pulled over into Crytek directly and then I uh, followed suit actually a year later uh, joining up with uh, Crytek so we could actually just you know talk directly to the people who were actually helping us out anyway (laughs) so we didn't need to rely on email communication so it was helpful to to join up on that and while we were employed at Crytek, uh, we were able to actually finish off what we wanted to finish off for the most part for MechWarrior Living Legends and released like our one zero point one, which was the uh, the mod release. And it got to like huge critical acclaim, had uh, uh, ModDB's Player's Choice and Editor's Choice Mod of the Year for 2009. And that was that was huge. That was huge for us. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure the validation after all that work went a long way to uh, motivating you to continue your work going forward. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So with uh, with MechWarrior uh, under my belt, um, worked in the AAA business for about ten plus years, almost eleven years, uh, before finally deciding to call it quits. Uh, I went from, like I said, started from Bioware. Uh, moved to Germany to Crytek from Crytek, looked around to a few different places, but then Chris Roberts got a hold of me and asked me to come join him on Star Citizen. Uh, went down to LA for about four years. For from within there, uh, eventually left uh, Star Citizen, joined up on a, another development team that was actually working on Sony uh, VR pro- uh, title called Starblood Arena. But from there, like I was never. Even when I was actually a part of Crytek, I thoroughly started realizing something. And that was really the fact that it was really hard for any any of my points that I was uh, trying to get across to either like game directors or heads of whatever project that I was working on, trying to reason with them. <laughs> and I guess this also stems at the fact that like when, when I first uh, got into the games industry is through QA. <laughs> 
So of course, be having that QA mind of, you know, telling the developers, hey, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Yeah. Started getting, and also having the the fact of the matter of me being a designer and, and the head of my own uh, total conversion mod, I had my own thoughts and opinions of like how, you know, certain games should have gone. Right. Um, and I felt probably about 90% of the time, I felt like my opinion was validated after the release of the game came out. Like, for instance, I, I can even talk about it now. It's like Rise, Son of Rome. You know, uh, it was a prediction from myself and a bunch of other QA guys uh, that were all saying that, hey, this is probably going to only get, like, at most a 68 Metacritic. And it actually got a 65. <laughs> And we were like, hey, you know, it's because of combat. And the critics said, oh, wow, this combat is atrocious. There's no variety. Yeah. And it's just all these same opinions were just all validated. Right. Uh, and I was actually working as a designer uh, at the time for that. And I was trying to pitch all of these ideas. But then uh, eventually uh, I felt myself being pigeonholed into doing multiplayer design. So I had to design around this black hole called combat <laughs> and make some sort of multiplayer aspect of of rise and then for when that opportunity came up with uh going over to to star citizen and getting you know offered two and a half times my salary i was like you know that's my ticket out of here <laughs> check you later see ya you want to be able to express your creative freedom especially as a designer i'm sure yeah. i mean every, every role course. has artistic values right as a programmer as an artist especially as an artist as a designer there's always absolutely a piece of you that or something that you think of that you want to put into the game because hey i mean who knows best right yeah yeah exactly you know and it's really the those that are actually both developing and playing the game here 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 is something that i actually really started to really appreciate after working on MechWarrior living legends love that project all the way up to the to the point where i i just got burned out and i was just working too hard on it had a had a little bit of a falling out with a few of the people on there but hey whatever that's that's yeah. fine but from what i've learned was with working on mechwarrior living legends and then working on all these other projects probably mass effect was the only one that i actually did enjoy working on besides mechwarrior living legends but how i viewed it was if you don't enjoy the game that you are making chances are it's not going to be a very good game yeah i'm you you make the games you want to play that's that's what I hear. That's exactly. The axiom that every developer talks about is like, hey, we made this because this is what we want to play and this is what we're interested in. Exactly. And it really shows through on the final product when, you know, you hear like mm-hmm. the developers have this passion because they love playing it. I remember watching the um, Double Fine. Oh, man. So Double Fine has a, uh, they had a really neat behind the scenes like uh, documentary going up every every so often about broken age specifically is the part where i watched i don't know where else it went on but uh broken age was their like point and click adventure game and they would constantly be just talking and talking and playing their game and getting feedback from each other the people actually making the game and that that level of passion and love for the product that they're making is it it really shows through i think in the final product and mm-hmm. i honestly just expanding outside of games i think that's true of most anything anyone does in the world is if hey if you're making a product in manufacturing or if you're doing a service like food industry or entertainment industry if you're loving what you're doing and what your company represents then it it, it really increases the um value of your product and your service i think 100 percent, 100 percent. 
I mean, that was that was kind of an eye opener for me, really, was a matter of, do I really want to keep working for somebody else's vision? Especially when they they decide to hire me because of my credentials, but they don't actually value the opinions that I'm giving now that I'm employed. It's It's so counterintuitive. And I've had this happen, like out of all of the, actually all of the AAA companies that I've been at, it's it's always turned out to be the case and not just me too right it it was just so funny it's just in general the levels of egos that people tend to accrue especially when working in triple a it kind of boggled my mind right and i guess i just got used to it after you know so many years after a decade of actually working in this stuff i started to just kind of inherent those kinds of behaviors. And I noticed myself becoming more and more toxic. Yeah. Right. And it was so hard to break from a lot of those same, that same level of, I guess, tribal knowledge for one, uh, two, an overinflated ego, uh, and, and three, wanting to actually, you know, attack anybody that actually has valid criticisms. I guess what was a huge breath of fresh air for me well, it was scary, so scary, um, making that that leap finally to go full indie. Uh, because even even when I was working at that uh, at my the last company at White Moon, they they allowed me to work on uh, Solar Warden in my spare time, and this was just more of a kind of a pet project, side project that I knew I eventually wanted to turn into something. And then I turned around and said, "Hey, you know what? Screw it! I want to get out of LA." I want to get out of this place. And this was also around the time where uh, like Trump was being <laughs> uh, voted into office too. My, my wife and I were like, oh man, if Trump, act- well, she was getting kind of hysterical a little bit where she was like, if Trump gets in the office, then uh, this was also around when North Korea was doing uh, their nuclear yeah. test. And so she was saying, no, I want to get out of LA. I want to finally leave the city. And I was like, okay, where do you want to go? And she's like, well, let's go up to Portland where, where my uncles are at. And I was like, Let's do it. Right. It's actually a hell of a lot cheaper up there than it is down here. <laughs> and uh, tons of the outdoor stuff that's up here. It was it was a um, it was a match made in heaven for me. So yeah, Portland. The Portland move was good for you. Um, does does Portland have a thriving indie scene? Yeah. So there's there's Portland uh, Portland indie development games or indie games. I haven't act- I I joined their their group, but I haven't actually been physically to go see them yet. Uh, majority of the indie scene that's actually here in Portland is actually very Unity oriented. Uh, so a lot of like Unity style games that are actually built here. None of none the none of them are really Unreal. Uh, and I've actually been uh, associated with the uh, Unreal PDX group actually quite a bit. I'm actually doing a uh, live talk for them on July 31st. Actually, it's coming up. I'm going to be doing a. Uh, it's actually a Kickstarter postmortem. Going to be talking about how. Uh, we went from our um, planning stages of our Kickstarter, how we actually started, and a lot of really the do's and don'ts of like, if anybody else wants to do a Kickstarter, uh, yeah, I have a lot of uh, <laughs> a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts that uh, I hope somebody else could profit from. Because even with you know a lot of the uh, information that's out there about Kickstarter and where where you can kind of you know develop your Kickstarter and how to actually obtain you know, more of a community, whatever, even some of the, oh, the market, oh, the marketing stuff, all of that stuff is so outdated. I guess long story short with that is the marketing stuff and, and a lot of the stuff that's kind of out there now, 
especially now with crowdsourcing and crowdfunding being a little bit more mature than back in the early days where, you know, getting on Kickstarter was a level of credibility right away. Mm -hmm. It really isn't now. I tell you what. (laughs) I I don't know if you watch streamers very often, but there's a lot of streamers that go through Kickstarter one one day a week and just go through the dredges of all that. It's it's kind of like the steam shovel where, you know, getting to a point where it's just all you see is like, one game that actually has some gameplay video and 30 Kickstarters that are just kind of like, hey, I have this idea for um, these creatures you capture and then you can battle them and it's I just have this drawing and give me $40,000. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. If only I could uh, I pull off the $40,000 of our mark just by, you know, some of the concept art. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, didn't Star Citizen do that? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you tell me. I mean, you were yeah, we're, we're not going to touch that. Nah, we're not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. Well, speaking of Kickstarter, <laughs> why, why did you decide to kickstart your game, Solar Warden? Well, really, it was a matter of understanding. It was understanding the, the, uh, the, the lay of the land, especially in terms of really AAA versus indie. And this stems back to a lot more of the popularity just because of uh, also marketing, of course, of anything in terms of games that are created, uh, usually end up going through a publisher. And the problem that I found, especially with early stages, when, when even when I was at AAA companies, trying to pitch games to publishers was really difficult, really, really difficult. And it still is now. It's probably more so, it's probably harder now than it ever was before because everything's a remake. Everything is the same IPs, everything, like yep. how many Call of Duties are there now, right? Everything is all like, unless you're making it on your own, probably to 90%, you're not really going to get a publisher. Right. They want the guaranteed money, right? Exactly. Exactly. Unless you're making a copy paste now, now another fad that's happening, another Fortnite, another uh, PUBG, yep. another Battle Royale, right? Whatever is the next fad that's developed by, you know, an indie sort of studio but of course you know PUBG wasn't wasn't really uh indie they they like to pretend they were but they're not i mean is, <laughs> is fortnite i don't think are any of these games that no go? for for fortnite just uh mimicked the the game mode that they had for well here here is the thing that epic did and, well this is just all speculation from my end you know i'm probably going to get a bunch of hate from people online but really like it boils it boils down to epic Yes, they copy pasted uh, a game mode, but the game mode wasn't, it was back in the like what, 70s? Battle Royale? But it wasn't popularized until PUBG. Great. All right. Whatever. So they mimicked what, you know, the successes of what PUBG has done and incorporated it into their kind of little Fortnite game to see how it turned out. But at the same time, at the same time, this is the, the uh, most critical part of it was Unreal Engine was actually doing a lot of development and putting the Unreal Engine into the mobile phones. So both of those combined created a perfect storm in order for them to just completely demolish and and shoot up to the top for, you know, number one selling game nowadays anyway. And of course, everything in terms of gaming journalism now is, oh, Fortnite, oh, Battle Royale, oh, PUBG, oh, guess what? Call of Duty's now doing Battle Royale, it's crazy how how widespread. Because I mean, what what was before the battle royale? Mobas, right? Was that the 
the last one. I, I might be missing one or two. Yeah, MOBAs, MOBAs was a big one. And then uh, even before that was the MMOs, right. all the MMO crazes. There's always these cycles, and they always spread across the industry, AAA, indie. Your game, Solar Warden, Yeah, is, okay, it is unique. I was going to say it's not unique, but it is unique. It's the RTS and uh, space shooter. You're, you're right in both. Yeah, both the RTS space shooter <laughs> combination is very unique, I think. And that's something that's very interesting. And I think they both mesh well together. Um, but if we separate those into just the space shooter category and just the RTS category, it's, you know, you have a lot of inspiration to draw from, I guess I'll say. Um, oh, yeah. You know, Elite Dangerous is one I played a lot. Uh, Everspace, Infinity, Battlescape, Star Citizen, which you worked on a bit, um, a bit, four years is what you said? Yeah. Yeah, a bit, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, these games are becoming more and more popular. Space is always going to be interesting, probably, until we get there, so... <laughs> well, I mean, we're still we're still playing, you know, pirate games. We're still playing uh civilization games <laughs> yeah but how many of us are out there pirating right now <laughs> what, what made you decide to pursue each individual genre and why did you mash them together well originally solar warden was not really it was not meant to be that direct hybrid of rts and space shooter originally it would it was actually uh, i guess this comes down to um, the bad habits, I guess in this case, it was a good habit in terms of helping me pivot, but it was, it turned into a feature creep because it was, uh, Hey, wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 well, let's add in the <laughs> RTS element and make this something really unique. But in that aspect, it really helped shine with the, the majority of, and not even just the fact that it's just the RTS and the, and the space shooter mixed in, but the fact that you can actually jump into your ship at will is the biggest thing, right? Like in terms of that, there hasn't, I, I instead of uh, probably maybe black and white to ter- take direct control over units, but that's kind of it. In terms of higher level aspect of things, there hasn't been like a space shooter or like, let's say Homeworld, you can't pilot a ship or uh, Master of Orion, you can't pilot a ship or Stellaris, you can't pilot yeah. a ship. It's always macro or micro, right? Exactly. It's, you're never exactly. doing both. And th- that was the thing, right? Like where I loved those aforementioned titles. I loved playing them. I loved uh, uh, doing the RTS element. I love, uh, especially uh, XCOM is a huge uh, driving force, but of course XCOM wasn't real time, but Real-time strategy was also something that I love to do. I mentioned like way early in the podcast, StarCraft. I love playing StarCraft, but I always imagine like, hey, why why can't you jump into these characters? Why, why can't I actually jump in and actually fight head on, right? Instead of, you know, right. micro uh, maneuvering the guys around and telling them what to do. I, I just want to take control of it so I can do all of those things all at the same time. That would be awesome. And then that way I have like far more accuracy than just a dice roll, right? Right. With that as well, like having the love for MechWarrior and the simulation stuff. And I loved Space Shooters. I loved uh, X-Wing, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter. I loved that whole series. I loved all those Space Shooters. You mentioned a few of them. I haven't actually played uh, Elite Dangerous and I really should. And of course, people are probably going to hate me now. <laughs> but uh, when I was playing it, <laughs> it was a mile wide, but an inch deep. So yeah. I don't know, maybe it's better now, but we'll see. A lot of people seem to love it. Uh, I need to jump on board with it, but it looks like the for the combat, though, the combat looks just too boring for me. 
Uh, the yeah, times absolutely. to kill just look way, way too long. <laughs> I mean, you come from you come from Mech Warrior. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna open up a little bit. Sure. I was always a Mech Assault guy because Mech Warrior oh, was too complicated. Oh, sacrilege! We should end this interview right now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry. Mech Warrior was always like the Let big boys. Mech Assault. Play Mech Warrior online too, right now, currently too, right? No, 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 no. I don't. Okay, I'm, good. We can still be friends. I've stepped away from Mechs. <laughs> <laughs> that that level of customization, that level of um, just shooting everything you want to shoot i like from what i've seen you can you know lasers missiles rocket there's there's always options available and mm-hmm. it seems that you're trying to implement that type of yes. choice into solar warden yes 100 percent. the uh the weapon group system is actually going to be very reminiscent of mechory limited but on top of that what what mwll didn't have was customization and that is actually going to be a thing in solar warden where you can actually mount on uh, multiple different weapons and different components onto different hard points onto your ship, and you can customize your fleet almost however you want. And um, I'm assuming, just to get into nitty gritty a little, you're balancing that against like an energy cost or maybe a space. What, oh, a what, bunch of things. Um, uh, there's going to yeah. be a, a ton of different variables to contend with. In, in the demo right now, everything's kind of derived by energy, very similar to like games like Everspace. Uh, but we wanted to, especially with the the macro level gameplay where you have the defense of the entire planet, you have your m- money and resources that you have to consider. So we wanted to to tie that into the the ship gameplay as well. So we're actually going to be including things like ammo, so you can provide ammo dumps uh, on your satellites that you deploy in orbit around the planet. So if you run out of ammo for uh, whatever weapons that you have, then you can actually go to those ammo depots and uh, subsequently rearm your, like, let's say missiles, for example, or, or uh, your autocannon ammo or whatever you have in order to continue on forward. But of course, anything that uh, uh, requires any energy, like uh, laser beams or, or plasma weapons that are actually going to be coming online, those will all like, derive energy directly from your ship's power plant. Right, so it's very similar, in, very similar to X-wing in that regard, or or freelancer in that regard. Um, but I think freelancer actually, I think all of their stuff was energy, so that's a bad. <laughs> but <laughs> no, uh, I think it, it makes sense. You know, lasers, energy, physical objects being shot, yeah. ammo. With these systems, what, would you say there's a learning curve to Solar Warden? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of people that are not familiar with the other genre have asked if they can actually play solo. Uh, either just by themselves in a ship, and I say, good luck. <laughs> uh, we, we will make it uh, a possibility, of course, but only if you're really, really good. Well, I should say the same thing uh, can apply toward the, the RTS players as well, where they can if they want, but there's going to be areas where, for example, like the Mega Meteor, um, especially in the early game, you're going to have to take control of one of the fighters to go inside of the Mega Meteor. The AI won't go in there for you and blow it up from the inside uh, until you get like bigger ships that have, you know, these giant rail guns attached to them, these capital ship style weapons that are able to break apart these giant extinction level event meteors. But, you know, if you don't take it, if you don't take those things out, these slow moving Armageddon like meteors, then it's game over. Right. So you're going to have to learn to do both. Something occurred to me just now. Sure. You the the game will have co-op, yeah? Yes. That's one of our pillars. Yeah, we can speak more to that in um in a moment, but would it be possible for my brother, the dogfighter um Han Solo, 
you know, lover mm-hmm. uh, to pilot the ship and do that that space shooter section while I step back and do the RTS section because 100%. that's what I love. That's that's the whole thing about with Solar Warden and the seamless capability of it. Everything, yep. everything is seamless in real time. Except, of course, when, when you pause uh, the time dilation. But, of course, that'll be making sure that everybody in your co-op game agrees to pause the game at that particular time. In terms of the co-op, this is exactly what we wanted to have happen, right? Those that are actually more familiar or more comfortable doing the RTS stuff, have at it. Uh, micromanage or macromanage the, the fleet while you have your ace pilots going in and actually doing those hardcore missions or taking on a boss by themselves so that way they're actually they're having their awesome experience and you're you're able to have your experience as well while managing you know the fleet or commanding them into combat or positioning them in different locations while you have your heroes for uh, for lack of a better term coming in and actually swooping in and uh, being the han solo and and saving saving the day at that critical moment right yeah, I mean that sounds wonderful. Exactly, and that's the that's the kind of experience. Like for for instance, going back to Battlefield, you had commanders that were always there to help you, like support uh, and obtain and go and and win those objectives, because they're providing mm-hmm. support for you. But more so in terms of games uh, like Natural Selection, that's a great example of that that same uh, symbiotic relationship between RTS and and real time combat, either first person or otherwise. Um, and then same thing with, uh, uh, what was that other game? Savage. Savage had the very same aspect, but I felt like those games only scratched the surface, right? Yeah. Where Solar Warden is going to go into that same depthness of what Freelancer had in terms of your ship capabilities and even further beyond that, and also dipping into the realms of uh, Descent, where you're actually going into these asteroids and flying six, well, you have six degrees of freedom anyway, but flying more in that sort of uh, akin style of WASD moving back and forth because you're kind of locked into the orbit of the of the asteroid so you get that same movement while at the same time you have the RTS levels of homeworld and other other similar titles to that right uh, and yeah. and similar kind of interface like Xcom right so all those being put together in unison into one cohesive title is kind of daunting but yeah it's not out of the realm of, uh, of possibility because uh, a lot of these things, a lot of these kind of crazy things uh, I've done in the past. I mean, hey, how many people can say they've actually put uh, walking mech in multiplayer in CryEngine, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if anybody's up to the task, uh, I, I'm definitely that, that, that person. So I'm, I'm fully uh, willing and able to uh, make, this, make this a reality. And I'm super glad that with all of our Kickstarter supporters that, that have come on board with us and are helping us out with uh, playtesting the demo, playtesting the game, I uh, couldn't have done it without Epic and, and their help as well for providing me with such an amazing engine. Yeah. You know what? I'll, I'll do one more question before we start wrapping up here. We're kind of sure. a little over time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you, you spoke earlier of the ship customization, the depth in the space the the dog fighting section the space shooter section would you mind like just fleshing out a little bit more of the real-time strategy section what kind of um depth and options are there in the 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 macro level i, I see like the, the diplomacy options are, are part of your kickstarter campaign um, planet damage is, uh, can you speak more to those so with uh the persistent damage uh well i'll tie both of those in uh in terms of 
the diplomacy aspect, very similar to like games like Civilization or Master of Orion or whatever, uh, you'll have different different countries that are actually going to be requesting your aid for different missions. Very similar to XCOM or even uh, what was the other game? Uh, Offworld Trading Company. Different company or different uh, countries will actually offer you different missions in order to they'll they'll basically like sponsor you to to do particular things for them either like deploy a satellite over a particular area as simple as that or all the way up into like capturing and then mining an asteroid for them right but the thing is every time that you're actually doing these missions for different countries other rival countries will tend to not look well on you providing you know assistance to china or assistance to russia or assistance to Ooh, North Korea. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. So like, be careful about like what kind of things that you're doing because, uh, and even as well, we're, we're wanting to line up even like the normal difficulty for solo warden where you will not, will not, I repeat, you will not be able to flawlessly, uh, save the planet. There will always be impact locations, uh, <laughs> that will impact the planet and uh, either like wipe out parts of countries or even cities and cities are a good determining factor of like what kind of income you can actually uh hope to expect from these different uh, partnering countries so if you tend to lose out on these cities uh those countries uh might even look at withdrawing from the project from the solo warden project and actually funding you right so you're going to want to try your best to maintain uh, as many people as happy as, as you can but of course, you're going to eventually need to choose. And then those uh, countries that actually withdraw from the project, they're gone forever. Same thing with the, the destruction of, the, of parts of the planet. Those cities are gone. Those cities are gone. And now that it's persistent for the rest of the game that you have to deal with. And then eventually utilize whatever is left over from the countries that you're still really amicable with in order to maintain or have them you know, increase their funding to, to, to your project. While at the same time, those that have withdrawn will eventually create a rebel faction called the Aegis of Terra, which send their own vessels up to actually attack you and (laughs) the rest of Solar Warden. Making the player adapt to the consequences of their own actions is definitely a very interesting feature, right? Mm-hmm. They have the player has no one but themselves to blame for the decisions they made. Exactly. The other thing that we're hoping for as well, we we have plans in the works for a sequel. They're all on paper. We're we're not developing. We're not going to be like uh, Ark where we're developing DLC before the game's actually out. That's just ridiculous. We want to <laughs> finish the game, of course, but we have plans set up now for Solar Warden Two, where you can take the save of after you've completed the uh, Solar Warden 1, and you can then look at how the Earth was already smacked up in your previous save game and import that into your uh, secondary game as, as we go forward. So you're saying the humans survive? If you win the game, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. So, <laughs> I was hoping I could uh, become the Silicoid uh, and just take <laughs> over Earth and play as their, them in the next campaign. But well, Multiplayer is definitely on the table, competitive anyway. Interesting. Wrapping up the show, do you, do you have any last words mentions? Uh, we are also, uh, now that the Kickstarter is over, uh, it doesn't mean that you are out of luck in terms of jumping on board, in terms of if you wanted to check out the game, we're already available at the demos on Steam. But beyond the demo, we're actually going to be releasing alphas that are actually going to be for backer supporters only. So we have Kickstarter backers, but 
We also have the availability open right now on BrightLocker, where you can go on to brightlocker.com, check out Solo Warren there, and you can actually purchase a ticket to get yourself uh, pre-ordered and ready to go for the alpha. And BrightLocker, how do you spell bright? Uh, B-R-I-G-H-T, and then locker right behind it. Cool. That's awesome. You're never too late to get Solar Warden and exactly. experience it. So this will be uh, going into alpha and we'll be looking at doing Steam early access actually uh, next year. So that'll be 2019. Uh, early, early. Early. But I early. Can't that's what I like to hear. Yeah, no, hey, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so look out for that. Solar Warden. Um, you, you have a Twitter, Solar Warden, I'm assuming. And- Solar Warden is on Twitter, Solo, uh, at Solar Warden Game. And then mine is... Kaze of Kame, K-A-Z-E, or Z-E for those that are American, <laughs> K-A-Z-E-O-F-K-A-M-I. Thanks for coming. I enjoyed the talk. Yeah, man. No worries. It was a pleasure. Thanks to Dan on the show and talking about his upcoming game, Solar Warden. See more of Dan at the Unreal PDX meetup in Portland, where he will be a guest speaker talking about his Kickstarter postmortem for Solar Warden. Uh, search Solar Warden on Steam and play a demo to see if you're interested and follow the game or add it to your wish list so you can stay up to date with it. And of course, thank you to anybody listening. I appreciate it. If you have any feedback at all, go to releasedate.zone and there is a contact us page where you can leave criticism, comments, or if you're an indie dev and want to come on, let me know. Thanks, guys.